Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we talk reopening as Arizona's governor lifts COVID-19-related restrictions. The rolling average of new cases of COVID-19 in Arizona is slowly declining as vaccination rates continue to increase. But at the same time, new variants of the virus have been found in Arizona, which could slow the rate of decline if they prove more contagious. This week, the state reached 1 million fully vaccinated residents. That's about 15 percent of the state's population. Public health experts estimate we need somewhere between 70 and 80 percent to achieve herd immunity. After reopening last spring ahead of what became a deadly summer surge, Arizona's economy did not shut down again. But Governor Doug Ducey did place temporary restrictions on businesses like gyms, restaurants, and bars. As pandemic metrics improve, Ducey has begun lifting some of the restrictions while continuing to urge residents to follow health protocols like wearing masks, social distancing, and washing of hands. On March 3rd, Governor Ducey announced schools will be required to offer in-person learning starting this week or following spring break. We talked with Wes Oswald, a third-grade teacher at Manzo Elementary School in Tucson, about how the pandemic year has gone. He says it's been a very challenging year, with many teachers leaving the profession, lots of technical difficulties with remote teaching, and a loss of connection with students. We asked Oswald if he's ready to go back to in-person instruction following the governor's order. I, I will be, and I will put on my game face and make it as positive as possible, but we are really being pushed into a corner in terms of how we deliver instruction. It's going to be very challenging because at our school, we are expected to teach simultaneously students in front of us and students on the computer. So we'll basically just be doing Zoom in a room together, except and except that our school has the worst internet connection perhaps in Tucson. So everything's going to be kind of having a plan, scrapping it once you try it, and trying something new. That sounds like a really tough situation, just managing the the kids in front of you, plus managing the kids in front of you on a screen and, and switching back and forth your focus from people in the room to people remote. That sounds like this is going to be a tall order. Yes, especially since, I mean, in cl classroom learning is typically far more dynamic than Zoom learning because you can manipulate things, do group work, share materials, do projects, but all of that is off the table with COVID. So I will have kids sitting at a computer in real life all day long while I am sitting at a computer in real life presenting lessons to digital students as well as analog students. So I'm kind of going to be very tethered to my computer where any effective teacher monitors the classroom by wandering around, checking work. That's going to be very limited because in my case, I actually have only seven kids who will be in person and I've got uh, 14 who will be online. So I will be catering more so to the kids online because that's more of the kids I have. Do you feel like you're getting enough support 
from the district or from your school to to get ready for this? No. No, we're not given any additional tools. I mean, we've got hand sanitizer. We've got the whole hygiene theater thing going on. But as we know, COVID is spread through the air. It is not. I mean, there's all these procedures for how to like touch pencils and how to distribute papers. And that's all just feels like a performance because I don't think pencils and shovels are the primary transmitters of COVID. It is indoor spaces and the air around us. So there's a lot of little things. There's like all these documents about how to do this stuff, but they just, they seem trivial and they seem like they're hiding the fact that yes, we're in person. We've talked about how you've tried to adapt as the teacher to online learning. How have the kids adapted? Because we've been at this for 12 months now. Yeah, that's it has been 12 months. I have certain students who are adapting great. I've got, I mean, I've got probably a third of my class, a third to half are doing well or very well. They tend to be the students who are more independent workers, who are more a little bit more self-driven, a little more focused, they tend to be doing fine. But it's the kids who are a little bit less mature, a little bit less focused, maybe have a, a less stable home environment, who are struggling, who don't attend as frequently, who don't necessarily do their work regularly. So some are adapting, some are not. We heard a lot about especially over the summer, kind of losing a year of education when everything went online. When you got your third graders at the start of this academic year, how were they compared in readiness to be in third grade to previous years when everything had been in person and what we considered normal? Yeah, their academic skills were definitely not what I'm used to. But I don't think we should have those same expectations during a pandemic. We, we can't expect everything to go according to a series of standards made by the state or the federal government during a pandemic when we are trying to survive. And many families have been left to their own devices in terms of juggling, having a job and trying to monitor kids online schooling. So yes, my students, we're not exhibiting the same academic skills I'm used to, but we need to cut these families and these kids some slack. What is it that you need from the district, from the state, even from from leaders with the teachers unions uh, to get through the rest of this year better, you know, or as best you possibly can? One thing I think all of us want is that, that, which isn't going to happen or is not on slate to happen, is an end this year to standardized testing. That seems to be a big push for why we need to return. I mean, we've got nine weeks, and a big portion of that is going to be administering the AZ merit test. I've heard elected leaders talk about the loss of learning. And if they really were concerned about the loss of learning, they would not be requiring us to take a standardized test to show what they already are aware of. Yes, there has been academics that have not happened because we're in a pandemic. And 
it's, it's shameful that we are going to be expected to spend time testing kids instead of like, hey, here's our opportunity to do some extra learning. When it comes to teaching, we hear very often that kids do better in the classroom. It sounds like you're saying kids do better in the classroom. So bigger picture, do you agree with Governor Ducey saying, let's get kids back in the classroom? No, I do not agree with that. I mean, each area of the state, I mean, I want kids in the classroom, but I don't think now is the time. Um, I'm fortunate, like I said, to have only seven kids in person. So I feel I feel fairly safe about that. My, the windows in my classroom open, the doors open, so I can have freely flowing air. But I talked to a teacher yesterday who said that she's going to have 35 kids in her classroom at the high school level. And that's not safe by anybody's standards. Even though I'm vaccinated and most teachers are vaccinated or will be fully vaccinated by the time schools are reopening for in-person learning, that says nothing about the people they live with, that says nothing about the students and their families. And just because you have vaccination that gives yourself protection, but I can still harbor COVID and not know it and spread it to others. So I know a lot of teachers, especially those who will have a large number of students who are very concerned and very worried and scared, frankly. That was Wes Oswald, a third grade teacher at Manzo Elementary School in Tucson. The Tucson Unified School District will offer in-person instruction starting Monday. Amphitheater Public Schools is a district with about 10,000 students. Like many school districts, Amphi began a hybrid program last fall but had to switch back to fully remote learning during Arizona's winter COVID spike. The district returned to hybrid learning on February 15th. Now Amphi is looking to expand in-person learning and fully reopen March 24th, shortly after the end of its spring break. The Buzz production assistant, Vanessa Ontiveros, reports. During a recent school board meeting, Superintendent Todd Jager said scientific metrics backed the district's decision to resume all in-person instruction. According to the State Health Department, Pima County has a substantial transmission rate, but a low percent positivity rate for COVID-19. It's getting better and better in Pima County, but especially in schools and especially our schools, that's obviously what we're most concerned about. According to the district's own COVID-19 dashboard, as of March 11th, there were zero active COVID cases among Amphi students and staff. Jager said during the board meeting that the plan to fully reopen relies on successful mitigation strategies. Among these are mask wearing, physical distancing, hand washing, frequent sanitation, having ventilation systems in each room, and on-site COVID-19 antigen testing. We're not in a position we are in terms of being able to open here very soon because of any one thing. It is, it is actually uh, our interdependent interdependence on a number of mitigation strategies. Still, Amphi teachers have raised concerns about effectively keeping mitigation strategies in place. Jager said one of those is the ability to keep kids six feet apart. Governor Doug Ducey's executive order only instructs schools to physically distance, quote, to the greatest extent possible. Still, Jager said he's heard support from teachers regarding reopening so the district can best serve its students. Most Amphi families support the idea. In a parent survey from early March, 94% of respondents chose the in-person learning option. 
an online learning option is still available for families who don't want to send their kids back to campus. The superintendent called upon the entire Amphi community to do their part to help keep schools open by behaving responsibly during spring break. For The Buzz, I'm Vanessa Ontiveros. Governor Ducey issued an order allowing restaurants to return to full capacity so long as they continue to maintain physical distancing and masking rules put in place by the health department. Josh Jacobson is one of three owners of Lucky Wishbone Restaurants, a local chain in Tucson. He's also on the board of the Arizona Restaurant Association. We asked him how the pandemic has changed operations. Jacobson says because their business is predominantly takeout, they've fared better than some other restaurants, but they've still had impacts in other ways. Once COVID started breaking out, the first thought that we had was, okay, how are we going to be able to keep our staff safe? So we we did a lot of the things that you see businesses um, doing now, we did in the beginning, like putting up the partitions, moving the tables out, creating distances between our, our counter and, and um, uh, the order area. Those were things that we just started doing. Then beyond that, the next question was, how do we keep everybody paid? Because we were worried that you know, we were going to have to shut down or lay staff off. And fortunately, that never came. And then the third thing was, how do we still run a good business? So we, we pretty much came up with a mantra for all of our employees, which was um, stay safe, stay paid, run a good business. When you say keep everybody paid, a lot of businesses, restaurants included, obviously, really were struggling with that. There were some federal programs like the PPP loans that helped out. Did you all have to tap into those or were you able to keep it going without that federal help? Yeah, so we, we, were, we were able to keep things going. And it, it's, it's been difficult because, you know, knock on wood, our sales stayed at a point where we could sustain doing business. Days were up and down. We didn't know how to schedule. We didn't know um, really what kind of food to order because we just didn't know what we were going to be going through. It was so unpredictable. Um, Labor costs were really high. Uh, Food costs have been very high for lots of different reasons. And the same thing with supply costs. So You know, a lot of people that um, a lot of the restaurants that were in our shoes that were able to stay open, specifically in the the quick service sector, because we were deemed essential. Uh, Sales were good, but, um, you know, costs were were really high and it made doing business a little bit more challenging and interesting, I guess. The governor issued that new executive order recently allowing restaurants to open at full capacity so long as there's physical distancing, which I suppose could impact the full capacity. But does that help you all? So um, for our setup, it really does not. And that's because we have our lobbies are pretty tight and people come in and they order at the counter. It's a great step in the right direction. I'm, I'm really happy that Um, Governor Ducey is taking measured steps on reopening things and not, I guess, jumping the gun. But we are going in the right direction. Uh, And and our lobbies are still closed just because we we cannot have the social distancing needed to start setting up tables. Do you have any thoughts from the Department of Health, be it the county or health services at the state, or even conversations within your own organization when you will either 
meet a, meet a metric or feel comfortable enough to begin opening your lobbies? So that's really going to be dependent on um, the governor and where he goes with things. Uh, I think that, um, so being on the board of the Arizona Restaurant Association, I've been able to uh, take part in the stakeholder conversations that um, the governor's office holds. So we're, we're giving lots of feedback on how things are going. Um, but realistically, uh, we are waiting for him to give the definitive direction of that things are lifted and we can go back to doing business as usual. Restaurant owners talk to restaurant owners, uh, and you're on the board of the Arizona Restaurant Association. What are you hearing from those other restaurant owners, restaurant managers about how they're doing and how the governor's order may or may not be helping them? Basically, a lot of people are just like us. You're treading water right now. Um, you're treading water in business. You know, the fortunately, the lights are still on and we're still open. Um, but I think that we're seeing this through all sectors of the economy. Uh, staffing is a huge problem. Because staffing's a problem, we've got um, a lot of uh, lead times that have been elongated. And then because the lead times have been elongated, you're also paying a premium for, for your, your goods and your services. And so everybody that's in business that I talk to are feeling the effects of that and trying to look for ways to to staff and to control costs. You said you're treading water, but uh, as the numbers of, of infections get better and vaccine numbers have been going up, have you seen an uptick in business or is it still pretty flat? We are, so one, one thing about Lucky Wishbone, knock on wood, our business is very consistent. Right now we are in uh, Lent season, which is for us, it's a busy time because we we sell a lot of shrimp and fish. So for us, we're, we're trending pretty close to, to um, where we should be. I was talking to um, another operator that's got several concepts in town, and I was very happy to hear him tell me that he was only off by uh, 1% for the last month. So um, that's kind of where the treading water part comes in. A lot of people are seeing the sales, but because costs are so high, a lot of the margins are down. And so everybody's working, but we're not really getting ahead the way that we would expect to. For people who aren't in the restaurant business, beyond food and labor, which are obvious costs, you said lead times are a problem. What are some of those lead time costs that are up, are difficult for restaurants and the, the phased reopening uh, will help alleviate? Sure. So... Um, uh, when I talk about lead times, I'm talking about uh, generally with our suppliers. If we're ordering in, say, the um, our our Lucky Wishbone box that probably many of your listeners, if they've been with us, they know what the Lucky Wishbone box is. So, uh, for instance, a lead time there, we would expect to put in an order for um, four weeks, and we would get that shipment to us. Well, what we're seeing now is it might be eight or twelve weeks. It's everything is pushed back because everybody is so tight on labor. They just physically don't have the hands to, um, to make the products. Well, thanks for spending a little time with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Josh Jacobson. He's one of three owners of Lucky Wishbone Restaurants, a local chain in Tucson. 
Last week on our sister show, Arizona 360 on PBS 6, host Lorraine Rivera spoke with Amber Smith, the president of the Tucson Metro Chamber, about how the year has gone for local restaurants. The chamber set up the Tucson Restaurant Advisory Council to support local businesses during the pandemic. So let's get right to it. Looking back, how did the occupancy limits really affect local business restaurants in the city of Tucson? Well, I think just sending the message that the environment is certainly getting safer had the greatest impact. However, for restaurants, they still must abide by the physical distancing requirements. So they still cannot be at pre-COVID occupancy. So while it does help to relieve the restriction, there's still more we can do. But there are also businesses that couldn't handle the occupancy limits because it resulted in less income and they had to close their doors. Is that the end of them? Can they recover? For those restaurants that were able to successfully navigate to a to-go and delivery service, those are certainly the ones that are the strongest. Regarding those others that had to temporarily shutter their doors because that model didn't work for them or they couldn't find staffing to uh, be at that reduced occupancy or they couldn't hit that target revenue number, it's yet to be seen what the final outcome looks like for them. Within the advisory council, what did you learn about how quick it's going to be to go from occupancy limits to starting to ease some of these restrictions? On the policy side, there is no prediction. We certainly know that the trends are showing that we can start to relieve those restrictions. Uh, the mask ordinance right now is from Pima County Health Department. Uh, clearly that is something that should that change could happen overnight for those restaurants. Uh, as far as being able to scale back up to maximize the occupancy, I think restaurants have shown how nimble they can be. So for them, it's gonna be about reassessing what their food inventory is, which typically is managed on a weekly basis. So hopefully by the end of next week, we'll start to see uh, a better, stronger new norm. Within the advisory council, how did you make recommendations for businesses? Because there were different messages coming from the county and now from the state. And if you're a business owner with a restaurant, I can imagine you're wondering, whom do I follow? You know, that has been the largest issue probably that we have contended with for the past 12 months. And how we've handled that is advocating to those different jurisdictions to be consistent in those standards. And ultimately it's uh, the determining factors who has the authority. The governor, for example, never put in place a mask ordinance, but our Pima County Health Department did and the city of Tucson. The city, it has been argued, doesn't have the legal right to be able to do that ordinance. That And that you could see in the governor's order is that his authority still supersedes local governments. In the case of the county, they have the health department, which has a different set of regulations. And so when all three of those different jurisdictions had different guidelines from uh, mask ordinances, the social distancing requirements, and even uh, the curfew, it's extremely confusing for businesses. And that is what we consistently argued in front of those elected officials. And we actually had a small win with being, having the city and the county be consistent, at least with the voluntary curfew time. 
This latest relief package features something like $29 million for restaurants that are struggling. How exactly does that eventually trickle down to the Tucson metro region? It will likely be filtered through the state. Um, and then some restaurants might be able to even apply directly through, you know, the Small Business Administration. But what I do know is with resources like ours, plus there's so many other nonprofits that are out there poised to help restaurants. It'll be our job to communicate all of that out. And so restaurants just need to keep their ears open. There are dozens of restaurants within this region that had to shut their doors. If you could look into the future is it fair to say that for those that are still open, they are out of the woods? No, no, I don't think so. Because here we are in March. This is the peak season, February, March, when typically we would have had the gem show. We would have had golf tournaments. We would have had a huge influx of people for those and the, for those things, plus the rodeo. All of that revenue that they should have earned is what would have helped float them through the slowest season, which is upon us for summer. So they're definitely not out of the woods. They are still absolutely in crisis mode. And how do you move forward as the Tucson Metro Chamber and the Tucson Advis or the Restaurant Advisory Council in offering them guidance on best practices? We have our Keep Tucson Cooking webpage. So that does a few things. One, it directs diners to see what restaurants are participating in the council? What are their operating times? Are they doing delivery? Are they doing takeout? But it also has all of the news feed coming through as well as to what specials restaurants are holding, things that are impacting restaurants. And for us, that's our role is to communicate out all of that information. And we will bring those resources of best practices from the Arizona Commerce Authority, from business professionals and executive coaches that we've brought in to work with these restaurants, and then even bringing in the county health department as well. They are still offering serve safe classes, which teaches those restaurants best practices and their employees, because there is a high turnover right now with those employees as well. That was Amber Smith, president of the Tucson Metro Chamber, speaking with AZPM's Lorraine Rivera. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.